0: sevens alcoholic. and i told my wife earlier i just hate speaking here tonight <laughs> because uh, it's in front of your friends you know what i mean it's just easier to speak to people you don't know frank hendicott frank would share that he just he couldn't stand speaking he, he spoke a lot he just couldn't stand it and now uh, i i couldn't figure out why and then i spoke a couple times i figured out why because i'd speak and think about it for three days four days and just nobody else was, but I'm thinking about because I'm never good enough. I'm never enough. I'm never... I don't think... I think maybe once, once when I was new uh, speaking, I I uh, I'd been about seven years sober and I got to speak a few times and I thought it's really unspiritual to listen to your humility, right? And then I heard this famous speaker who spoke all over that she'd listen to her tape. A good friend of mine said, oh yeah, she listened to her tape so she can give a better pitch. So I thought, well, she does it. So I thought... I felt like a, like a movie star going to watch his own movie. You know what I mean? So I put this tape in. Oh, I didn't like it. and I thought, oh my God, it's worse than I thought. You know what I mean? But I had about six or seven and then I found one and I thought, God, it really was good. You know, and my. <laughs> and so I thought, well, I listened to it one more time and then that's it because I felt it would be so vain and self-centered to listen to myself more than once. But I said, one more time. Right. So this is this is for you newcomers. This is alcoholism. I listened to it one more time, and then it was on. Boom. Third time. Fourth time. Fifth time. Bad <laughs> <laughs> move. Put that tape on. <laughs> then my wife got in my car one day. I threw it under the seat. I went over to see. I was listening to myself talk, and I went and I was the main speaker. And uh, during the break, a lot of old timers were there. And halfway after the break, about half of them left the meeting and so these were people i knew for a long time so i'm like i'm wiped out i I'm just like took the wind out of my sails I, I thought you know i'm so self-centered i think it's all about me i didn't realize every week they come there to visit people and leave at the break i just think well, even if they did if i was speaking of course they would stay you know how what i mean and then i got up to speak and i couldn't even speak and i just bust myself i can't even talk tonight i felt like i got a movie star, i would written memorizing his lines for a movie and i thought so I stopped doing that, but uh, I'm uh, I'm grateful to be here. I love the people here. It was Craig and Ron and uh, Willie. Willie uh, Willie does a lot of work in AA over at the men's house. And uh, good to see you. We've we've had some uh, interesting discussions. i trying to get some guys in there. <laughs> trying to shade the truth so they get by Willie. <laughs> as long as you get through the uh, get in the door, we'll work it out later. Um, and uh, got that from Bill Honeycutt though so it can't be all bad anyway I, I love being here I love being sober it's an honor and privilege to be here uh, sounds very shallow and not like I mean it but I mean it from the bottom of my heart I, I, I got a call from Ron Taylor today asked me something and he said we all should be dead and it, he was joking around but that's the truth we all should be dead you know uh, in human history we're the luckiest people who in the program in Hyman and just for a second I think, what would I be like? I don't care if you think that. I think it helps. What would I be like if there wasn't alcoholic signs? Would I be 50 53 years old? I mean, I got here at 30. I'm 20, 22 years sober. And uh, what would I be like? What would be happening with me? I don't know. I was so resistant. To, I went to therapy. That didn't work. I tried church. That didn't click. Uh, I tried working out to the gates of insanity and You know, I was meditation. and and matt my friend down here got his legs crossed and i see this inspirational tattoo on his cap that says see you in hell my friend <laughs> that really fired me up <laughs> but uh it's kind of kind of true though if the life if you're anything like me an alcoholic of my type and i really like to say my type i mean that's only place people like me end up i mean there's no way uh, if there's section of the universe, any good and evil, I would be definitely cast to the dark side when I pass, whatever that is. Um, anyway, I, I want to get my story done because I spoke a few weeks ago. Ron call, uh, Larry called me this afternoon. I apologize for the people I, I spoke a couple weeks ago in a meeting out on Third Street. Really nice meeting, and um, I thought about that right after he hung up the phone. And I thought about calling him back. I didn't have his number, but then I thought again. I go, well, yeah, but Miles, you really like to speak, so who cares if they heard you before? (laughs) That's part of my thinking. I'd be less than honest for me not to tell you all my thoughts here. See, I'm an alcoholic. I have many thoughts. I have a lot of committees up there all debating and arguing all the time and just working their numbers. And, you know, it's all about me and pleasure and comfort and me, me, me. And A's just taught me how to put that in the back burner. Because that thinking, and that we're acting on those thoughts, always gets me alone and afraid and full of resentment and just not enjoying life. You know, this AA is the only way I've found to Really give me the power to do things and give back to life to get the feeling I crave. The feeling. I found from Frank and Bill Huntington, I've got to love you. It's much more important than I think of you. The worse I feel, the more I need to love you and be kind to you and give to you and make you. Because I want that back. Frank said this you know they say in the reading the meditation the other day he said unconditional love and Frank is a very honest man and he said Miles everything he did had a hook in it everything he did had a hook in it everything he did he wanted something back We, you know it's okay and then one of the reasons I had it's okay to be spiritually selfish and I found this out the true truth in life the truth for me I'm always looking for truth period truth that's it put out love forgiveness harmony truth hope faith light and joy to get it back if I don't I don't that's all I do. I'm 22 years. i twenty 22 years of doing this. All I have to do is take my inventory over the last two weeks if I start feeling bad and think, yeah, but look what you've been doing. Appearance-wise, I'm going to eight or nine meetings. I'm working. I'm doing all these things. But have I gone out of my way? Have I worked out spiritual muscle? Have I stopped to talk to my neighbor? Have I done any extra work? Uh, Mike's got Clayton here. Have I picked the kid up and given him some love? Just little tiny things. I don't that I was to what am I not doing that I was doing when I was feeling good you know diet is very important for me exercise sleep you know those basic things Dan knows we know you know I can be doing all good things but if I'm eating crappy I just feel crappy and I never want to look at that I want to say no it's got to be something deep and more intellectual and maybe I'm from an outside home no you've eaten too many, too much ice cream that's all it is <laughs> and I don't want to face the truth I want to say no I want to eat ice cream and feel good <laughs> But large amounts so i passed out <laughs> just spoon and carton might make it back to the refrigerator off the floor but it's usually just passed out next to me there and uh anyway, i was born and raised in long beach i'm the youngest of three children i was right here stone throw away born and raised right here slept in this park here years later <laughs> and uh, i love seaside ski story i was thinking about that all week after he shared uh there's a freedom waking up in the bushes I know people are pretty calling you for favors nobody's future to decide (laughs) and I'd go back there tomorrow (laughs) but I was half dead and uh, man it's nowhere unless you're high you know so anyway I was born and raised here I'm the youngest of three children you know, I was a spoiled brat. We didn't have we didn't we weren't rich in anything. But I look back to that. I was spoiled to death. My dad would come in to give us a beating. My dad was brought up on a farm and he'd come in to give us a beating. You know, he was brought up in a uh, two room house five kids, money money. They bought. his mom, his mom. He loved his mom. she he get out? She got the tree and get a big switch off that tree and pound your butt. <laughs> so my dad would get the belt out and come in to whip my brother and I. We had these twin brothers, and he'd go to my brother first. He was the oldest, right? They so come in there and start flashing away at him. And Bruce would, oh, and I was looking at this. I got to look at this guy being annihilated. And I'm laying there in the bed next to him. And I'm screaming so loud and so hard. I'm trying to get the neighbors awake. And finally, he comes over and he just goes, hits me a couple times. He goes, shit, brother. Would always shit about that because he got a worse beating all the time. And uh, I was just, uh, you know, my dad was a really good man, though. And we brought up an alcoholic home. One of those homes, you know what I mean, where find the bottle every night. You know, it wasn't a bad deal. My dad was great. He took our little teens, took us to Catalina every summer, and the mammoth skiing. And my mom was a chronic alcoholic. You know, it was when she wasn't drunk, she was dry. And, you know, women and men, you know, how the vanity sets in. When she wasn't drunk, she was like me. She's a total commodity. And she said, I'd rather be drunk than fat, you know, and we all relate to that. You know, uh, many people, when they get sober, I tell you, it takes time for this all to work out. And that's why, I'll, I want to digress a minute. Thank God for meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous. If you're having trouble and your life isn't turning out the way you want, you get sober and you have a lot of other issues coming up, especially food and weight, man, just keep coming to me. Something happens spiritually. I went to OA, I failed OA, I'm 22 years sober, and my body started to straighten out eventually. And it was the spiritual influence room going on every night. The only thing you get going for you is three-quarts ice cream in the refrigerator. And if you're and just survive, just stay sober. Staying sober is so important. I don't care what you have to do. I don't care if you don't work a step, don't call anybody. If you have to hold up all day, put the covers over your head. We have a lady in our meeting, Mindy. She'd go to bed at 6 o'clock or 7 o'clock at night. People go, well, you're avoiding reality. She'd say, no, I'm avoiding reality. I'm staying sober. And she had to do that for a long time just to stay sober. Whatever it takes, staying sober. if you're If you're going to one meeting and you're staying sober, you're a winner today that was the only criteria you go to a meeting today you didn't drink today you're a winner today getting that winner circle you know and i thought well i got to do something more i got to work your stuff i got to do other stuff you know what sometimes i was incapable of doing anything but just not drinking and going to a meeting and it's hard in heck to go to a meeting when your head's on fire and you're isolated all day and all these people are smiling and laughing and you just feel like oh you want to crawl under the cart under the floor you just sit there sit there and grit it out and you're a higher power in my experience i'm Incapable of working steps or talking to people some days I'd just go to that meeting and sit down I was miserable and I uh, couldn't wait for the meeting to be over so I'd go home and isolate some more and I thought I'm worse now than when I was new I'm getting ahead of myself but I realized AA still worked for me in spite of myself in spite of myself this program works in spite of us but uh, I was born I would to get into that in recovery but I was in that family and my mom was crazy and I had many experiences growing up and uh, you know my mom was always seemed drunk or off center and you know it was a good deal, since you're the man of the house, you know that's the alcoholic home. the kids become the parents and uh and my dad would pull in every night at five o'clock, and the driver from l a'd work up in l a and that cone of silence would fall over the house never get smart. <laughs> and all of a sudden it was like we'd go and sit in our bedrooms and wait for that first brick to be thrown because he'd come and he's like the hungry bear coming home he like, ah. And there you know, my mom we the dinner would never get the dinner right. It would be uncooked, overcooked, no vegetables, nothing <laughs> And she'd be to the gills and act like he's not gonna know for the forty seven hundred time. No, I haven't been drinking. No, Clinton. I still fear at the stove just going, I, I, you know <laughs> I mean giving memories to my mom, just this five foot one like Betty Boop <laughs> Denial, 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 alcoholic. <laughs> and then he got to the point we moved to this other little house, right? And it was right in Los Alcos and we begged my dad. My dad was such a good man. He spent all his just for his kids. He bought he used to pay the bills, get all the groceries and some weeks just have change in his pocket, just get the gas filled and everything. So we had this pool and eventually we moved to that house and we're, by this time we're in junior high school and, and they're really getting into my mom's getting out of control some nights because alcoholics we need attention you know my dad would come out and he'd just learn how to work his allen up where we'd sit out and lay in front of the TV and we'd sit there and watch TV and my mom would come out because we're not paying any attention to her she'd come out and get between my dad and the television and try and get him to get mad at her and my dad liked to drink milk so the biggest thing again, say Clinton here drink your milk your high fat your big fat drink your milk because she drank she didn't drink milk she's an alcoholic right so this was we could go on and my dad some nights he'd sit and wait her out and other nights he just couldn't wait her out he'd have to get up and try and gently move her out of the room and as soon as he got close to her she'd scream you're hitting me you're beating me oh he's hitting me children please don't let him hit me oh and he'd go mom shut up he's just trying to get you out of the room you know and uh then it got to the point where he some nights he'd pick her up in the summertime of course take her there. really tear off <laughs> just get out of full ringing wet. you know i just feel tear. just this woman ringing wet, just looking at all right clinton now you really had it you know <laughs> and uh, you know we had scenes breaking windows and all this stuff so that was what was going on what was going on with me was me you know i was just all about me thinking about me all the time i was a dreamer just dreaming thinking dreaming, and thinking but i was popular i was okay in elementary school you know third and sixth grade i had some issues you know i was in fourth grade and this is my big big change my life this and my best friend larry down and i told him i was going to ask this girl to go study long story short larry before the end of the day asked her to go study himself now this is my best friend right cool guy he has a lawnmower shop his dad with go-karts behind him we go over there and write oh and i was wiped out i always felt this bad. i guess i was fourth grade i was old enough to really feel all those feelings and pre-alcoholic whatever you want to call it i don't know if i was born one or not i'm not going to get into that issue i know i'm and i thought oh my god with trembling voice i said i've got to talk to you the next recess and i looked at sherry and we gave each other a little saint christopher's and sherry just held up her saint christopher with this big beautiful smile and this gorgeous little girl and she goes yes Larry gave this to me and uh i was wiped out and uh i took larry in this little bathroom at the recess the last recess of the day and i didn't know what i was going to do so this is my mo when the heat is on i'm in big trouble and pain i started sobbing and crying so long and hard he broke up with her. so i got the day on the inside the best example of the kind of person i'm in is the wizard of oz and we've all seen it i'm like the lion I'm old bravado until you smack me in the nose. And, oh, God, do you have to do that to me. <laughs> and uh, you have to remember that because every now and then I forget. I'm 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 an alcoholic. I got alcoholism. I'm extraordinarily sensitive. Sometimes I'm callous and cold as a rock, but other times I'm just so sensitive. You look at me wrong and I think you don't like me. I don't even know you, but you don't like me. And... I was brought up in that deal, and I went to junior high school, and then everything happened. Junior high school, uh, oh, you know, uh, you know, I won't get into in detail, but it's true. Having those first, I had tremendous sexual problems in junior high school. I wasn't having sex with anybody but myself, but it was a huge problem. It was serious. I'm not talking about just kind of a minor issue. I'm talking about serious problems. Some of you guys relate to that. And, uh, you know, because you know why I had a problem with it? What? Because it felt too good, right? i have a serious problem with it. And to the point, I'm never going to have kids because that's going to be done with. So I figured that out. I'm in junior high school. I'm going to the library to look this up. I'm, I can't ask my friends. So I'm going to the library, a sixth, an eighth grade kid going to the library to try and look this up. Because, I mean, I was worried. And... Uh, so I, I mean, now I'm nervous and shy and it just makes me really insecure. We had PE in junior high school and I was one of those guys with a very late puberty and some of you people know that have a young, nubile body to another human being. You <laughs> <laughs> just so inadequate to the measurements and everything. So I couldn't stand PE. I literally would love it when we didn't have to shoot up. I didn't, I, I, I try not even take a shower because I was so embarrassed. I mean it was such a, I mean these were huge, I mean I would, my brain was on fire. Specialized PE. Then I can't talk to girls anymore. I had a girlfriend, six friends. Now I can't talk to girls anymore. I'm just, I'm just fading away. And they had this clubhouse, fans. that didn't get off the top for Thalians. And uh, some tough, cool, wild guy he had no curfew. No curfew in junior high school. I envied him. Today I know he has terrible parents. He got, he was a messed up kid. But he was cool in junior high school. You know, the kids in junior high school are super cool. They're mostly dead right now or crazy. You know, and uh, so. I went over to his house. His mom had that warm beer in the kitchen. Think I was going to pass Blue Ribbon or something. Tall cans. And we rode the Stingray bikes with the high handlebars. You know, I was on the handlebar him in this little park. The park right down the street here. Stearns Park. And uh, we drank that beer. I choked it down. Why? I did cigarettes. I wasn't able to smoke them, but I had to smoke them because all my friends were smoking them. Carrington. That was a big, I'm 53, you know. So that was a big cigarette then. We call them Carrington. And I'd hold the smoke in my mouth like. That president, you know, and just blow it out, right? I wouldn't be able to inhale, but I had to smoke, and I desperately didn't want anybody to see that I wasn't inhaling because I couldn't inhale. I was too wimpy, you know? And so I had this deer in the park just enough for my life to change forever. The guy sitting in that park, I was rocking. I just was beyond words. Only people in this room know that feeling. Nirvana, ecstasy, euphoria. I was sitting with Greg, and all of a sudden, poof! I felt like Greg was. I was cool. I, there were no girls there, but I knew immediately I could dance and sing, I could talk to girls. I just felt like my, I just came alive inside. And I just looked at Greg and I took that keratin, and I took a big hit off it and inhaled all the way deep down and blew that smoke out, and I just felt like John Wayne and Queenie with those guys in the movie. After there with Greg in that park and that magic, and uh, we didn't drink too much, went home next day, and of course we drank every chance we could after that. And the next time I drank, cold 45 mile liquor. You know what happened. One tall can, that's magic, two, incredible, like three, it was, I can you know, wait, three the half, va-boom, barfing all night, all day, all night, all day, the bile, all the bile's barfed out. That started the pattern of my drinking there, fast forward, 15 years. I would drink two points, this is the time, then I can never I, I couldn't even stand the taste of it. I get, I get revoltingly ill. I'm the kind of drunk. When I pass out somewhere, I don't puke a little while and go back and drink somewhere. I puke. I'm sick as a dog. I'm deathly ill. And if you move me, I will kill you. Don't touch me. If I move one inch, I'll start violently retching again. So I don't care if I'm laying in the park with my head in tears. Don't move me. Don't move me. The only way to get well is to be perfectly still, right? And uh, so I never drink beer again. And then I you know, I ran into uh, vodka great drink vodka and orange juice and we'd sit in the front of, my, uh, of orange juice and my dad was back in the bedroom my mom would be buying our booze for us we'd sit out there with our half pints between our legs act like we're playing uh, you know a little splash of vodka and about you know sixteen ounces of orange juice because i couldn't stand the taste of the alcohol i was so afraid of getting sick and i learned how to drink vodka and orange juice that was awesome i went from a pint to a half pint to almost a pint I my guts out violently over a three-month period of what you were drinking once a week. Could never drink vodka anymore. Couldn't even stand the taste and smell of it. But I tried it. Vodka and lemonade, very short-lived, and vodka, Delaware, punch. Even short on my system. I love Tom W. It's said, fresh alcohol. i got to get alcohol on my system somehow. Now I'm in high school. Valley High. Found Valley High. It was good. <laughs> that lasted about two or three months. Got really sick on Valley High. Then for some reason, I was able to segue into Senata for a little while got sick on that now i'm done i can't drink wine i can't drink alcohol i can't i can't so i'm with some friends and they bought a keg a little pony keg remember those and nothing's like that fresh beer remember those fresh beer and it just was so fresh i kind of got past the taste of it and i choked up because in my high school i was a in high School. you know seven to seventy the coolest guys could sit down and drink a six pack of beer you were on you were there and we'd drive around in our car you know when you throw a beer out the window you'd listen we'd turn the radio down real quick to make sure it gave a clink instead of a clunk because the biggest thing to drink the beer was essential if you had a clunk you were faking it you know what i mean your motorism was decided you could drink six or eight beers at two six packs you were like you were like king you know so i learned how to drink beer and i, I then i from my junior high school on every friday and saturday every friday i had a drink of beer from the beginning of the evening you know two o'clock in the morning we go face down and jack and the boxer talk about you know what i mean crash out little hangover but learn how to nurse it and beer was like my id drip. unless i had a beer in my hand i almost felt sober as soon as i put a beer down you know if you don't have a cold one or a beer around you start to get a little insecure and nervous so i have that beer in my hand all night long and, and then start doing it on weekends sometimes my best friend in high school his girlfriend would say, "Miles, why do you always have to have a beer in your hand?" We'd play softball, but we got to get some beer. We got to get some beer. And I thought, just like all you guys, my God. And he got rid of that girlfriend because he he'd gotten in the way of our drinking and having fun. And I got to uh, played water polo and got scholarships. Well, I went to Lamy City College and played real well. And Monty Muskowski, great coach, great teacher, Barbara Talbot there. And uh, let me see what time it is. Eight o'clock. I know people don't want to hear what time it is because you're hoping it'll be later if you get out earlier. Now you're frozen. <laughs> if you're like me, you're thinking, God, it's only 8 o'clock. i got to sit in another 25 minutes, and this guy's driving me crazy. <laughs> okay, think of me, i got to live with myself. I went to City College, played with Monty. It was great, two great years. We won state championships, got honors, and all that stuff. But drinking every Friday, and Saturday night. Every Friday, and Saturday night. You know, I got recruited at Cal, played water poles, played there two years, won national championships. Got to play at the Belmont Plaza Olympic Pool between family, before family and friends, got honors. So I had all this going on, and the drinking was there. Boom, boom, boom. Drinking was fun. Fun was drinking. Drink. I couldn't go out and have fun just not drinking. Any social occasion, I'd have that alcohol on my sister, and I have fun. Got out of Cal, came to Lamy State, getting my teacher's I got into cocaine, but I about cocaine. It's just like a Rusty F says, freeze dried alcohol. <laughs> but uh, uh, I did that line of cocaine, and I went to take a shower, and uh, we played these water polo games that day. We had three games played the next day, and we had this line, and uh, I went in a shower, and this thing went through my n- central nervous system and exploded, and I, I was like, I was feeling, Better than alcohol. I couldn't believe it. Now, this internal, internal warning system said inside my body, very clear, it said, Miles, I tried to stop doing that because I felt I loved you too much. I made such a fool of myself. When I'm high and I'm cocaine, I tell you, I don't care who you are. I love you. I want to spend the rest of my life with you. I don't care if you're man, woman, dog, animal. You and I are going to travel the world. We're inseparable forever. It was like, I was way out there. And I was so humiliated the next day. It's bad enough drinking, but oh man! He'd tell me the activities director because I wouldn't shut up. And uh, oh, higher And uh, and i yet the next day. I had the humiliation the shame, and it coming down, and it started to take away from my physical fitness and my health. Because I was proud of myself. You can pound beer and play water polo hard, but this was taking away this. I was staying up all night and uh, had to play three water polo games the next day. And, and I'd try to square off that forever and then my life changed forever from that moment on about 24 to 30, I went through these I started to be a spree drinker, a binge drinker because I'd, I'd drink and do drugs and I'd, it, I'd be out of money after two hours then scrape the week in the ball, beg and steal so that my life became a, just a living hell you know, I, I'd get dry and I'd work out for four to six weeks I'd shape the uh, physical fitness and the gate from that I got myself in such physical shape that I have to work out two times a day just to keep away from... I'd get too nervous. I couldn't sit still. So when I was drinking and using, I'd be working out. That was my only advantage. Tied up into that. And one time I tried to gain weight and and lose... uh, Gain muscular strength and lose weight. You know, getting one of those washboard stomachs and one of those physical fitness guys. Take anorexic 150, eating raw garlic and lecithin and carrot pulp. But I'm looking... You know, I'm, I'm looking at myself in the mirror constantly, and I'm going, but you're looking good. I start turning white, and I got an internal blockage, all in the vain attempt to try and live a life without drinking and using. It, you know, and I was, and I know what anorexia is now. I, I was looking at myself. I looked better the thinner I got, and my parents and friends are going, you look terrible. You're turning white. Eat, eat. You're, you're melting away, you know. So I know this disease for me takes all forms and shapes. There are uh, from Belsar jerry's great he said it's all under the big top just alcoholism you know some people have the gambling the, the sex the spending you know it's all under this, this food thing is insidious because we got to you know anything that gives us pleasure we have we have trouble with sometimes so the biggest event of my life and you know, it changed my life forever i was 27 years old i went to a, a wedding jeff girls great ball player and friend of ours and long Beach, my brother he grew up with us and uh his son sean's playing for the Padres. so it's a big event you know and uh and at the end of it, I've done six weeks again. My usual pattern was six weeks away. Anybody know a month of six weeks, I run a marathon, do a 10K? No way. My mom is. I don't use for a month of six weeks at a time. It's been gone for five years now, but still. And uh, I went to this wedding at the end of the night. I wasn't going to drink. I wasn't going to use. But I'm an alcoholic. And I got alcoholism. I don't even know it. I'm the wrong people doing the wrong thing in the wrong place. I don't know. I'm powerless. I don't know. I got to drink like I had to take my next breath. Sure, at the end of the night that thinking comes in the alcoholic thinking I said I deserve a drink and I take a beer and my heart soars as the all night you to get some a quart of beer a case of, a case of beer and a quart of tequila so we went back to his house uh, we, we had a line and a beer and I just got started and we ran down to get a liquor store at 10 to 2 and I'm driving back through Naples and I didn't see this guy I went through the intersection but I'm not paying attention because you know I'm talking now I gotta talk 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 and Mike is sitting next to me who's a drug dealer yells at me miles and this guy's walking right in front of me and i don't see him and i can't even hit the brakes and i just slam into him and uh we pulled the car over well about maybe 150 yards or something past the signal he was jaywalking out of the old divers cove it's a crow's nest now or something and uh i pulled the car over and we walked back and we stood in this circle around this body lane in the street and i had a tuxedo on with my hair all flicked back being the great gatsby that was my image that night and uh I looked at this guy, and alcohol was telling me, what a bummer. We want to party. I don't care about this. Let's party, party, party. Alcohol was telling me, man, this is no good. I don't care. We'll deal with it tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. People in this guy go, do anybody see who hit him? And this one guy goes, oh, some big car hit him and took off. So we immediately just walked out of that circle. And... Uh, went around the corner and Mike went back and he said the ambulance said there, there's nothing you can do so we went got in his car and drove to his house and the party was a vengeance all night and I stopped at this point because many people in this room I'm sure had that night or that event in their life when they did something horrible their family, a friend, or loved one or used and used to get out of their head and I did all night as long as I could so of course I always run out of money and people to use that's my story I run out of money and people to use and i had to come through the next afternoon and we got an attorney and just handled it all out of court the attorney met with the police uh he he turned he turned me in to them and uh, they i said i was too distraught to stay at the scene i lied um he was a blood alcohol over legal limit he was jaywalking so it got all handled but the guilt was there in the house right over here and that became my age in the hole the last seven years or five years of my life i'd go to my grandma's house when i was down, and i had no money no place to live and she'd take me in again and again and again that poor woman god bless her and i did it like any alcohol i was so depressed drinking did wasn't an option i ate around the clock and i slept for two weeks straight just avoiding reality and then i muddled on with my life that was three years before i got sober so fast forward three years all kinds of stories between those next three years. My dad bought me a swimming pool business. I drank right into the ground. So I'm at my granny's house. I'm finally turning 30 years old. What am I going to do with my life? And finally, I caught a, caught a break. I always liked to work out. I ran into this girl who taught aerobics. And I started teach, take, taking aerobic classes back then. A lot of men were starting to take them. Was, and uh, when it was Jane Fonish with this girl, and we learned all the workouts. She became my girlfriend. And I started teaching aerobic exercise for a living. And I taught in Belmont Racquetball Club, uh, leader in the church uh Congressional Church uh, Memorial uh, Hospital, the nurses. I had my life. I finally found a life. It was <laughs> and then about. I'm running the Long Beach Marathon, not even working out, advertising my workouts. So I take on more workouts, more exercise, right? I think, what is wrong? I'm trying more sex. I'm trying anything I could. Half my body's going, eat, floss, let me. Half my body's going, what's wrong with you? What's my problem? We're now we're in aerobic competitions. I teach the competitions. I'm competing with these other aerobic instructors. We finish our performance and people are just going, nice job, good. March you down 2nd Street and go, hail Caesar, mild, you are the king. I felt it. You know, when you do something you keep your heart and you feel it's going to change your life and people go, yeah, yeah, that's real good. Real good, Matt. Thank you very much. See ya so I just uh, and I had this thing inside I didn't know what was alcohol it was this dark hole so three three and a half months into then, I didn't know what my problem was I said I, I couldn't stand the way I thought and felt every day that spring like Clancy says was getting tighter in my stomach Tire, tighter 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 now uh, a car a ten year old Volvo was like a new car for me I got money in the bank I'm meeting with the Dixie Ranch people with a doctor his wife had taken my rubber class He's a doctor in Memorial, one of the foremost cardiologists there, was in on the, the bypass, that heart bubble thing. And uh, he, we're meeting with Dixie Rams. I'm sitting down. He goes, what kind of shower do you want? He wants me to teach roads while he does the cardio. And we're sitting with the Dixie Rams people right down here by Marine Pacifica. I'm sitting in those rooms with those people. Now remember that feeling. You're sitting with people and you have that feeling in your life with alcohol. You can't imagine your life without it. I'm sitting in those rooms. And I had this feeling of impen- intense impending doom, and I felt like telling these people, Hey, time out. Can, you just, can I free frame life like twilight Zone? Can else? sit here and can I go over here for a couple of weeks and just sit in front of the TV and figure things out? I mean, life is moving. You can't tell everybody, Hey, I, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't know what I want to do. I thought I want to teach aerobics. I don't think I do, but I don't know what else I want to do. And I can't not teach aerobics. I can't brainstorm. I go, I need a vacation. That was it. I mean, it was a brainstorm. I thought, wow. I've been working three and a half months. Normal people take vacations. So I took this girl to Palm Springs. I thought that would be the answer. We get to Palm Springs. On the way to South at Hadley's, gets a little deal going. We're in Palm Springs. I swear, this this is a true version. We're cruising to Palm Springs. I'm feeling worse than when I left Long Beach. This feeling is now moved into the terror zone. I'm I, I'm just, I, I'm, I'm an apple miserable my life has never been better this beautiful girl we're in Palm Springs I am absolutely out of my mind we go to this beautiful time sharing unit I'm in there with this girl looking at her and thank God she came with me because I was able to identify the problem and you know what the problem was that girl of course that girl and just like a big brain you just goes wow it's the girl oh I'll suffer through two days with her and every girl around looks better than your girl you know what I mean I don't care if they look better or not, you know, whatever you need, right? So, anyway, I didn't know this is alcoholism. I didn't know I was out of my mind. This beautiful girl has done nothing wrong. So I get back to Long Beach. I took the vacation. I'm ready to break up. We pull in the driveway and I said, Janet, I don't know what's wrong. Now, how many of you guys use this line? This is really unique. I don't know what's wrong. Maybe we need a little break. That's real classic, right? <laughs> it means, could you wait in this closet for, like, Two weeks or so, I want to go out on an adventure with life, and if I can't find anything better, I'll be back. But you know, and I turned around, got in this little blue Volkswagen, so drove around the corner, and my gut fell in the street. As soon as that car went around the corner, I was like, come back. The <laughs> and then my head exploded. I was totally gone. Best saved my life sitting there in the middle of the street. I went in the house, I thought, oh, man, my, talk about gut training. I said, my, my last great thought was, I'm going to in a chair. And I teach aerobics at 4.30, 3.30 in the afternoon. If you of that hour, I like that guy in the sandwich shop when he has a glass of milk, and he said, just a little whiskey in this milk, remember in the big book it talks about that. At the end of the hour, that thought came through like a butterfly. Not like an anvil, not like a hammer, not like a friggin' explosive. It said, just a couple beers, just a night of relief, just a little relief. That's how my ism talks to me. It's sweet, it's kind, it's gentle, it says, come with me. And it doesn't show you the railroad tracks and run you over, (laughs) come with me. And I just thought, in the back of my mind, I know I can't do this. I kept saying, shut up, shut up, shut up. But I reached that turning point we all get to. I literally couldn't imagine my life with it without it to the nth degree. And I went out for just one night of relief, and I knew even when I was going to do it. I, but maybe it'll be different. And I, I started drinking and using right then. And man, as soon as I started, that stuff, you know, first thing I did was coke. Oh God, I'm a, oh, I thought, oh, it's like a guy, you hold him underwater till he's just about to die, and you let him up for a breath. That's how I felt. It's just, oh, I breathed again. I drank that beer. Oh, Oh, and I thought I never, not want to feel this way again. And my mind goes, Miles, you can't live this way. You have every shut up, shut up, shut up. Anything I put in my system, shut, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. And I started that shut up thing, shut up, shut up. And it lasted for about a or five days. I 10-speed bike, a little road bike, riding around Belmont Shore. You know, I'm used to everything. Everybody has the car, I think was out of gas. I can't deal with it. I'm too high and people ask me questions I can't deal with the car leave it alone the bike the bike was worth the money the first person who would give me money for it's gone so now it's 10 feet little girl's bike nobody really wants it so I'm ripping around Belmont Shore I'm like that witch in the cyclone of the Wizard of Oz ah! and uh, people are looking for me I'm ripping off every single person I'm looking through phone books for people I knew from elementary school and I, thank God, I can't put it together. It was a total blackout-whiteout, you know, deal. I don't know where I slept or where I got money. I just did it. And uh, and uh, I was moving, too. I wasn't laying around, man. I was moving all night long, man. And uh, the last week or two, what happened was I stopped being able to turn my head off. And it was really scary. When I stone-cold, I felt stone-cold sober in reality, doing coke and drinking and smoking. I just felt, like, clear. It was like, whoa. It's like watching a TV station that's out of it, and then every time it gets clear, then it got clear, then it begins clear, 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 oh. And I had nightmares, sober night, loaded nightmares. And I was sitting there, and I couldn't shut my head off. I ran out of people, and I just got so tired. I was sitting down at Bogart. Bogart's where you used to be removed from the certificate. Some of you know it. And I was always looking over my shoulder. I had a lot of people looking for me. One guy kept telling me, these guys are going to really hurt me. And you know, when you're, you you do not care when you're and uh i sat there and i called my sister i don't know why i called my sister uh, she came and got me took me to her house and i had been to her house and pillaged her kids coins and stole from her and everything she watched me like an escaped gorilla from the san Diego zoo and she called my dad or my dad's just big like i'm sorry he, he's a military and if he walked in there my dad could still kick my butt today he's gonna be 85 this year and uh he walked in he said you're coming with me and he took me to his house now, it's a one-bedroom condo on Ocean Boulevard. My mom's drinking around the clock. He took the ace in the hole away. He said, my I took the ace in the hole away at my grandma's house. He said, you're not going back there. And my brother had been telling him that for years. He put, me in the, uh, he put me on his bed. I passed out for two days. When I came to he goes, we're going to get you help. Now, I've been to A. I took my mom to A when I got out of college. She loved her. I knew her. I, I, she was a good soul, man. She. Everybody loved my Mrs. E. They called her Mrs. E. She was a gal. But she's, you know, she's a bad mother. She's an alcoholic. But she's a party girl. And uh, my dad looked at me and he said, okay, we're going to get help. And so we started looking for help and driving around these places. And we, I, I, I don't even remember the name. I think they were called treatment centers. But I'm not an alcoholic. Cocaine was non addicting. 1982 Medical medical Association said so. So we're driving around looking for these places up in L.A. I, they're really seedy places. The word Betty Ford didn't exist yet. So we don't know what to do. And he's driving to this one place, and I go, Dad, please don't put me in there. You know what I mean? And we drove home, and after two days looking, he was going to go take a day off for himself. And I'm on the couch at 10 o'clock in the morning. He's out the door at 10. He's probably back at five. So I figured I got a day of fluff. So let me and sloth, Now drug dealers are calling the house, talking to my dad. My dad's afraid of no man. My uncle's a cop. He goes, Come over here, I'll get your fucking, You know, and because it was serious, some of the money I owed him. Uh, you know, drug dealers. Oh, they want their money. Guys, you know. So, <laughs> anyway, on the couch, I'm laying on the couch, and I, he's at the door, it's right over here. And I gave him one of those one eyes from the couch. I go, "Yeah, Dad." And he goes, "Get up and get help." I go, "Yeah, Dad. Yeah, Dad." And I said, well, "My dad has always been there for me. My dad's the love of my life, and he's never not been there for me. He, he, I'm sure, he hated me, loathed me, but he loved me like a man, any man could love a son more. Uh, I don't know. And uh, he looked at me one more time, and he saved my life. He, he, and this is big, if you know my. And man, I tell you that I cried for my first five years every time I shared that. Because if you had the relationship with one person in your life who loves you more than anybody in the world, who will never turn their back and never, no matter what, and he threw me into the wolves. And he knew I had nowhere to go, and I was down and out. And I did like Al Rosenkrantz and any good alcoholic does. When he said that, I, electricity went through my body, I jumped off the couch, and I was terrified. This man who done everything for and I said, oh, whatever, Chad. And he found a place and said, we're going to take you on Monday. You can come in if you show up Monday. So I went and we'll go take you for an interview. If you pass the interview, to get in. So that weekend, my girlfriend took me back in. So I spent the weekend drinking beer because I couldn't deal with my feelings. I didn't know what feelings were. I drank beer all weekend. And then uh, Sunday morning, I had a Paul Nets Budweiser, which was my drink of choice, and a wad of bubble gum on the nightstand. I woke up with her and I took the gum and popped it in my mouth and took a hit off that Budweiser. And she looked at me and she goes, are you going to do that again today? I looked to her in the grave. What does it matter? And I put the beer down and the wad of gum spit it out and I said, whatever. And the next day I went to Impact Recovery House and, you know, we only newcomers and people who, everybody in this room remembers our first day. I mean, my God. But let us not forget that. The only thing worse than drinking is not drinking. For me. For me. That's my story. I hate a man in action. It doesn't matter. Sobriety is nothing for me. I hate a man in action. He died. I really don't care if I live or die. I did, but I didn't. You know, i had too chicken to kill myself and all that. People with morals and principles commit suicide and they did a little interview and I went out to say, My dad they're gonna take me and my dad I was traveling like so my dad looked at me and looked around that recovery house. And this is not a pretty place, it's all dirt in the ground, there are people all different ethnic oras didn't look like anybody intelligent was there. My dad's a very educated English major from Iowa. And he looked at that house, he looked at me, and he just broke down and started sobbing. Just sobbing. I mean, racked with tears. And I tell you, I'd like to say I broke my heart, but I had no heart left. My heart was as cold as a stone. I couldn't say anything. I couldn't say I'm sorry. I said that a billion times. I couldn't comfort. I couldn't put my arms around him. And I just thought, two out of three kids ain't bad. Just, what do you care? If you feel that bad, take me home. You know, set me up again. You know, those shit, crappy thoughts we have. And he left, and they took me in. And my intake counselor was Ed W., 18 years, life, 18 years sober, 44. 18 years of his life in prison, 44 years sober. I oh, no, he was 44 years old, 18 years of life in prison, and four years sober. Now, this is a guy who's going to, and mean, he's got tattoos up and down his arms like mad here. He's chain-smoking with cigarettes and drinking Drinking, uh, uh, and drinking coffee and I'm thinking I'm taking his inventory right away you know how we are you know I'm a water player from Cal of course don't you know <laughs> and he looks at me and he goes Miles we didn't ask you to come here something like that because I told him right from the get go I said you're not going to tell me anything I don't know because I've been around and I've been a counselor and he said we didn't ask you to come here pretty much and he goes this program is so he goes you're your here now, that was the silver bullet. It went right through me. I was ready to hear, like Frank said, I ran that around my T-brain a couple times, and I could do nothing to dilute it. I could do nothing to think that away or put him down or somehow, you know, judge it. Because nobody ever said that to me. He said, two, we don't have time to straighten out your thinking here. Whoa. He's like two for two. I was going, how did he know I was such a deep thinker? you know I mean we're alcoholics we're just to and I I gotta remember everybody in this room thinks the way I do what's life all about why are we here what's the purpose where are we gonna go after we die are we really gonna go any, you know I can do that in side of half a second you know <laughs> so uh, and then he said Miles this program was so simple if I put a $20 bill on the wall all you gotta do is get a chair and grab it and with that he threw me in a meeting May 24th 1982 at 9 o'clock in the morning I've been to A before, I didn't know this was A, I didn't know it was A. I didn't know the Recovery House was program at all. It's just a recovery house. From their stories. Tough, cool guys I wouldn't mix with ordinarily. You know, like Edward and I are talking about. I thought they wouldn't like me either, you know. Uh eighteen to sixty four, men and women in there are pretty roughly dressed and uh I listened to their stories and then my heart took a took a skip to beat. And I thought, My God, I didn't know anybody did the things I did and then later i got to realize i didn't know anybody felt the way i felt i didn't know that i had a room of guys if you're like me the curtain came down i was really upset i demanded they call my father he's on the way home call my dad you ripped me off you didn't tell it's a religious program and they insisted it wasn't a religious program saying the lord's prayer does that make sense you're new you tell me right <laughs> so i sat there and i don't remember saying anything and these guys came over guys in the group men and women women, men came over to me men I didn't even know treated me nice now I'm an alcoholic I didn't know I got tremendously low self esteem for me that made me feel really good and I never want to forget we don't have any easier time with this God stuff either and I got it from him. I couldn't have got it from a guy dressed up like me but from another newcomer it was really good and they said it's not a religious it's spiritual then the next guy comes up he said Hey, Holmes, it's going to be all right. And so, I had to straighten him out because he thought my last name was Holmes. So I said, my name's Miles Evans. Please get it right. So, that became the joke. And then they took me to a meeting. I'm short on time. Uh, they took me to a meeting, and I literally fell in love with the people I Alcoholics Now. I fell in love with them. I loved them from the start. Because I had such low self-esteem. I had hit a man and killed a man in action. I really believe that my second meeting I went to when I walked out of that room, I never want to forget this, I really believe, the bottom of my heart, this is rigorous honesty, if you get to know me, you won't like me, I'm sure. Especially the things I've done, because the things that have people truly love me, I have to carry that around like an albatross in a weight. and there's some kind of a lifeboat I'll never be free of the guilt and fear and the shame. And these people, the more they heard about me, the more they love me. And I cry when I think about that. And that's what we have here. You know, Frank said, it's that we're lucky people in the world? It's the love we have for each other. I mean, it's it, you know, it's so insane to think that we're we're you know. I always think about this. We're not perfect people. We're born in the world. We've all done terrible things. I shouldn't be preaching, but I just think it's just you know, I made some mistakes. Uh, when I would take them back. that Guys, hey, if that's what it took, and it came to the crossroads, you know, and I, I had faith, I believe I would. You know. But the counselor in the recovery house the counselor guy with a few months sober he said put yourself in that man's place who you killed put yourself in his place you're dead you're gone he's here now what do you want come through your heart think what you want for him what do you want do you want to take the life and that came really clear to me you know what i mean and so that's it you know i i get to do this now, no problem to me i know why i go to me is i know i'm here you know i can never get back what's been given me my only guilt is I don't do enough and give enough to people. Truly. I'm an alcoholic. I never feel like I can give enough. Only when I'm up to my teeth with people do I feel okay. And as soon as I back off. And Frank Hunnicutt gave me that. Frank was a real alcoholic. He didn't feel good unless he was helping people and doing things for other people. And then I read in Chuck Chandler's book, when he passed away, they published the book. They said, Chuck, what about self-love? What about self-love? And Chuck said, and if you're new, this guy had been sober and helped more. I read about him. And anybody who's been around, Steve, right over in he helped more people and he said alcoholics have one thing in common all of them pilots, whatever low self-esteem low self-esteem it's not something that goes away we just got it and every day we work on that and he said the only time at the end of his life they go Chuck, what about self he I wouldn't take me with a large dowry he said I don't think of myself anymore in a large walrus. this is the guru of AA and he said the only time I feel good about myself is when I'm doing things for other people then he I don't feel good like these other people they seem to be skipping through the tulips and moving on with life as soon as i slow down i get i get sick and depressed and crazy then i find out i'm a real alcoholic of, of, alcoholic of my type and frank and bill honey got me involved in the service thank god for frank and he taught me the strictest people in this program and i'll say this sit down the sickest people in this program continue to study themselves and get better it doesn't mean don't work the steps and take it in, in or don't take don't read anything into that other than I need to do way more action than analysis. <laughs> analysis for me leads to paralysis. I just never do it right, <laughs> especially alone. <laughs> but my mom died at six months sober, and I, on her hospital bed, we tried to get her sober. I took her to the round table, and I tra- the people there loved me and they helped me a lot. And uh, they tried to love my mother, but she didn't get it, and on her, on her deathbed, she was going in out of coma we got her in the hospital for six weeks they tried to get her liver and kidney work and they couldn't six weeks without a drink she died and the last thing she said to me I went to her bedside and she came out of coma white as a ghost and she scared to death she was on death's door and she took my hand and she said Milesy when I get out of here I'm going to go to those meetings and then she passed away so keep coming down. Thank you.